You are on the Crooked Mile. Join Ed on another fabulous adventure. Thanks very much. Thank you. Welcome back, everyone. Yes, you are on the Crooked Mile. So, Ralph one day decided to leave the ministry. Some say he left to pursue a career in writing and public speaking. Well, I would offer that Ralph left the ministry indeed in pursuit of something, and his incredible career as a writer and a public speaker was maybe perhaps a natural byproduct of his pursuits. Now, there are a lot of learned professors and intellectual types out there that might scoff at such a notion. But hey, that's okay. Ralph's work, though, has been studied and argued about and dissected over the years. And one of the first questions is, with just about anybody's work, is, what did they mean by that? Or, what was he saying? What was he trying to tell us? Well, sometimes the author, the poet, the songwriter, and even the policymaker means exactly what they have said. Sometimes they leave it open to interpretation. Shoot, even something that is absolutely fixed and the meaning is as clear as it can be can still be open to interpretation by the individual. Anyway, back to Ralph and his pursuits. Ralph often wrote about the world around him. Oftentimes, the world around him was the natural world. And one of the byproducts of his pursuits was a piece called Nature. And it goes like this. The beauty about the nature. To go into solitude, a man needs to retire as much from his chamber as from society. I am not solitary whilst I read and write, though nobody is with me. But if a man would be alone, let him look at the stars. The rays that come from those heavenly worlds will separate between him and what he touches. One might think the atmosphere was made transparent with this design, to give man, in the heavenly bodies, the perpetual presence of the sublime. Seen in the streets of the cities, how great they are! If the stars should appear one night in a thousand years, how would men believe and adore? and preserve for many generations the remembrance of the city of God which had been shown. But every night come out these envoys of beauty and light the universe with their admonishing smile. The stars awaken a certain reverence, because though always present, they are inaccessible. But all natural objects make a kindred impression when the mind is open to their influence. Nature never wears a mean appearance. Neither does the wisest man extort her secret and lose his curiosity by finding out all her perfection. Nature never became a toy to a wise spirit. The flowers, the animals, the mountains reflected the wisdom of his best hour as much as they had delighted the simplicity of his childhood. When we speak of nature in this manner, we have a distinct but most poetical sense in the mind. We mean the integrity of impression made by manifold natural objects. It is this which distinguishes the stick of timber of the woodcutter from the tree of the poet. The charming landscape, which I saw this morning, is indubitably made up 
of some 20 or 30 farms. Miller owns this field, block that, and Manning the woodland beyond. But none of them owns the landscape. There is a property in the horizon which no man has but he whose eyes can integrate all the parts, that is, the poet. This is the best part of these men's farms, yet to this their warranty deeds give no title. To speak truly, few adult persons can see nature. Most persons do not see the sun, at least they have a very superficial seeing. The sun illuminates only the eye of the man, but shines into the eye and the heart of the child. The lover of nature is he whose inward and outward senses are still truly adjusted to each other, who has retained the spirit of infancy even into the era of manhood. His intercourse with heaven and earth becomes part of his daily food. In the presence of nature, a wild delight runs through the man, in spite of real sorrows. Nature says, he is my creature, and despite all his impertinent griefs, he shall be glad with me. Not the sun or the summer alone, but every hour and season yield this tribute of delight, for every hour and change corresponds to and authorizes a different state of mind from the breathless noon to the grimmest midnight. Nature is a setting that fits equally well a comic or a morning piece. In good health, the air is a cordial of incredible virtue. Crossing a bare common in snow puddles at twilight under a clouded sky without having in my thoughts any occurrence of special good fortune, I have enjoyed a perfect exhilaration. I am glad to the brink of fear. In the woods, too, a man casts off his years, as a snake his sloth. And at what period soever of life is always a child. In the woods is perpetual youth. Within these plantations of God, a decorum and sanctity reign. A perennial festival is dressed, and the guest sees not how he should ever tire of them in a thousand years. In the woods, we return to reason and faith. There I feel that nothing can befall me in life. No disgrace, no calamity, leaving me my eyes, which nature cannot repair. Standing on the bare ground, my head is bathed in the blithe air and uplifted into infinite space. All mean egotism vanishes. I become a transparent eyeball. I am nothing. I see all. The currents of the universal being circulate through me. I am part or particle of God. The name of the nearest friend sounds then foreign and accidental. To be brothers, to be acquaintances, master or servant, is then a trifle and a disturbance. I am the lover of uncontained and immortal beauty. In the wilderness, I find something more dear and more connate than in streets or villages. In the tranquil landscape, and especially in the distant line of the horizon, man beholds somewhat as beautiful as his own nature. The greatest delight which the fields and the woods minister is the suggestion of an occult relation between man and the vegetable. I am not alone and unacknowledged. They nod to me, 
and I to them. The waving of the boughs in the storm is new to me, and old. It takes me by surprise, and yet it is not unknown. Its effect is like that of a higher thought or a better emotion coming over me when I deemed that I was thinking justly or doing right. Yet it is certain that the power to produce this delight does not reside in nature, but in man, or in a harmony of both. It is necessary to use these pleasures with great temperance, for nature is not always tricked in holiday attire, but the same scene which yesterday breathed perfume and glittered as for the frolic of the nymphs is overspread with melancholy today. Nature always wears the colors of the spirit. To a man laboring under calamity, the heat of his own fire hath sadness in it. Then there is a kind of contempt of the landscape felt by him who has just lost by death a dear friend. The sky is less grand as it shuts down over less worth in the population. So there you have it. So the question is, what is the meaning behind nature? <laughs> Common sense suggests that nature is everything we see that is not man-made. So was nature set forth to serve man? Is the essence of human will to harness nature? Should we, to view nature as reality, build our own world and surround ourselves with natural beauty? Oh, and one more question. Is the purpose of science, is it to find the theory of nature? <laughs> well, you decide. Oh, and by the way, Ralph was, of course, one of the most beloved American writers of the 19th century, a Mr. Ralph Waldo Emerson, who actually went by his middle name, Waldo. Thanks for joining us. Until next time.